Well, I want to thank you for coming too. And again, you know what? We never take that for granted. We really don't. We know there's a lot of churches in the area that you could worship at. And um, I'm a little partial. I think our worship ministry is uh, par excellence. I think it's amazing what they do. And I'm uh, thankful that they are leading us in worship. But I want to thank you for being here. And I want to remind you that every time you come to this church, you're going to be hearing the Word of God. And that means you need to be bringing your Bibles. Because we preach word for word almost always, unless it's a rare topical sermon. Even then, it's usually word for word. But I want you to have your Bibles open. I use the English Standard Version. Whatever version you have that's not maybe from Lucifer would be good. Um, If you've got your electronic Bibles and you need to get on to our Wi-Fi, it's Cornerstone with a capital C. Let's get our Bibles out. This is our final sermon in Jude. Please, no applause. That hurts my feelings. It's our final, it's our part 15, it's, uh, we're, we're ending the series today. And I want to begin this final sermon in Jude with this. Parade Magazine featured an article or an, a story on a self-made millionaire, Eugene Land. And I want you to hear what Eugene Land did, and I want you to hear the results. Pretty phenomenal. Lang had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders. What could he say to inspire these students, most of whom would probably drop out of school? He wondered how could he get these predominantly Puerto Rican black children even to look at him, much less listen to him. And he got in front of these 59 students. This is a self-made millionaire. He got in front of these 59 students and he scrapped his notes and he spoke from his heart and he said these words, stay in school. Now, so far, pretty unphenomenal. They've heard that from a lot of people. Listen to the rest of his words. You ready? Stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every single one of you. At that moment, the lives of those students changed. For the first time, they had hope. One student said later, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Now, you want to hear the results? Listen to this. This is a true story. Amazingly. 90% of those 59 students went on to graduate from high school. They just needed hope. They needed somebody that could speak hope for them. You know, we've been closing out the book of Jude. We've been learning how to become contenders for the faith. You remember what we've been seeing? These have been the last four sermons, including this one. We've been seeing that you got to look back and remember. Remember that? you got to look back and remember. Don't be caught flat-footed. Coach Jude is almost like getting us in the ring. you got to remember your opponent. He's a southpaw or he's not, but you got to remember what your opponent does. There's false teachers coming to the church. Don't forget it. And they're always going to be coming into the church. By the way, they're coming into the church all over America. We're exporting false teachers around the globe. Did you know that? Do you know who the biggest exporter of false teachers is? It's America. They're alive and well. I don't know if they're well, but they're alive. So look back and remember. And then he says, look in and remain steadfast. Well, how do you do that? Well, he taught us. You got to do four things. You got to build up your faith. 
You got to read the word of God. If you don't love and live and teach the word of God, you're apt to not really regard it very highly. How do you teach it? Well, you speak it to people. And when you speak it to people, you're going to remember it. Well, you don't only just build up your faith by studying the word of God. You pray, you get deep into the presence of the Lord. Your heart will follow your posture. You get on your knees, you get on your face. You don't have to, but that's a good way to do that. But you pray in the Holy Spirit. Then you keep yourselves in the love of God, meaning simply you stay obedient. You watch the Lord. And when the Lord says move, you say you you move. And when the Lord says stop, you stop. And then fourth and final, you wait for the mercies of Jesus Christ. You maintain your hope. Jesus loves you. And he knows if you're struggling. He knows if you're suffering. He will bring his rescuing hand. But a good defense, and I want you to hear this, a good defense has to generate offense. And so far, look back and remember, look in and remain. That's all defense. And then we looked last week at the offense. You got to look out and you got to rescue. And you've got to show compassion to those who doubt. And you've got to come around them in love. And then if they're beginning to drift out of the Christian faith, now note, drift out of the Christian faith, then you've got to get urgently coming around them. You've got to urgently pursue them. But if they've departed the Christian faith, now I want you to hear this. They're not doubting anymore. They're not drifting. They're departed. They've departed. If they've departed, then you've got to cautiously pursue them. Well, today what we're going to see is the fourth and final instruction. We've looked back and remembered. We've looked in and remained. We've looked out and rescued. Now we're looking up and rejoicing. You got your Bibles in front of you. Let's read it together. By the way, if you remember the very first week of this sermon series, we identified these two verses that we were going to try to remember and memorize as a church. Now, because you do everything I ever ask you to do, I'm sure all of you have memorized this, and I may take the liberty of just randomly calling you and asking you to stand up and recite that. I likely will not do that. But I do want to read it together, so let's read it together. Ready? Jude verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy in the only, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It turns out, after all, that Jude could not resist returning to the original intent of his letter. You got your Bibles open, right? Look at Jude verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, that was his original intent. This is what he wanted to do. But he saw all of this heresy, all of these false prophets, all of these false teachers creeping into the church. So he changed the purpose of his letter to expose false teaching and to teach us how to contend for the Christian faith. But now, finally, now at the end of his letter, he returns back to that which his heart was soaring after, that which he wanted to do. He's going to end with speaking about this great God who has saved us. You know, a benediction 
is different than a doxology. A benediction is God's blessings for his people. A doxology is the people's blessing to their God. Do you see the direction change? Benedictions go from God to the people. Doxologies go from the people to the God. Here's a benediction that you can remember, you'll be familiar with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's a benediction. That's God's blessings for his people. Now, if I were you, if I could encourage you, you ought to memorize some of these benedictions because when you're going through times of suffering, these benedictions prove to be anchors for our faith. They lift our eyes from the circumstances back to our great God and his promises for us. But a doxology moves the other direction. The doxology is when we praise God, when we Bless God. When we exalt God, here's an example. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Two very familiar scripture verses. One a benediction, numbers, and now one a doxology. Now I want you to get this. That's why I'm laboring the point. Benedictions are God's blessings to his people. Doxologies are the people of God's blessings to their God. What we're about to look at, what we are looking at, this final sermon is a doxology. It's an utterance of praise. They're words of praise. They are praise utterings. They remind us all They remind us that all, not just some, but all, every bit of credit, every bit of glory and majesty and awe and respect and honor belong to God. They don't belong to us. A doxology firmly puts God as the rightful recipient of every bit of glory in this universe. And we've got Jude's heart. And I really want you to kind of climb inside of Jude. I mean, I'm hoping that you've gotten familiar with him. I mean, Jude is, Jude's kind of like Peter. Except I think Jude, by this point, was thinking before he spoke. But he's courageous, he's bold. He doesn't cower before anybody. He says it like it is. I like people like that. Listen, if you're upset at me, I like it when you just tell me. I hate mystery. You want to know what Pastor Tim hates the most? It's likely going to be the answer called mystery. I hate guessing what you're thinking in regards to this sermon, to me, this church. Let's just say it. This is Jude. This is what I like about Jude. He just speaks it and his his heart is going to erupt in worship. So you're now inside Jude's sandals. You're wearing his clothes. You are Jude and you've just finished a letter that has been moving Christians into the ring, into their agon, their place of contention. You've got to get in that agon. You've got to fight for the faith. You've been teaching them. Listen, if you don't, then people are going to drift. They're going to de- they're going to doubt, drift, and depart, just like the Israelites, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And bad things happen to those who depart. So you've got to fight for people. You've got to fight for the faith. And now he closes in this just incredible worship doxology. It's like his heart is just like a volcano erupting praise to God. Let me let me ask you to think about this for a moment. 
I want you to think about the last time your heart erupted toward God. Not in anger. While God's shoulders are big enough to handle your anger and my anger, directing anger at God is never okay. Lamenting is okay. The Psalms are full of lament. Jeremiah lamented before God. He wrote Lamentations, we believe. Lamenting is saying, God, I am torn apart. I am hurting. I am struggling. I am doubting. I don't understand what's happening to me, but I know that I'm going to end in glorifying you. I know I'm going to end in faith to you. Anger ends in glorifying us in doubting God. Jude's heart erupts in worship. When's the last time your heart erupted? When's the last time it blew? Where it almost paralyzed you, where it almost was like, Lord, I don't ever want to come out of this moment. I don't want this to stop. Well, now, if you can, if you can pull that memory, if you can pull on that experience and recall it, now I think you're right where Jude was when he starts to write these verses. What we're going to see are three parts to it. Ready? The preserving power of God. Look what he writes. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The preserving power of God. I want you to listen to what Martin Luther once wrote. Remember that great reformer pounded and hammered and nailed the 95 theses on the church door? I want you to hear what he wrote. It is a great comfort to us. To hear that great saints who have the Spirit of God also struggle. Those who say the saints do not sin would deprive us of that comfort. Samson, David, many other celebrated men full of the Holy Spirit fell into grievous sins. Job and Jeremiah cursed the day of their birth. Elijah and Jonah were weary of life, desired death. No one has ever fallen so grievously that he may not rise again. Conversely, no one stands so firmly that he may not fall. If Peter and Paul and Barnabas fell, I too may fall. And if they rose again, I too may rise again. Did you hear Luther's heart in that? Better yet, are you hearing the heart of God in that? Because God's power is able to preserve us. He's able to keep you from stumbling. And his contenders, that should be you and I, those who are contending for his faith. Listen, we may fall, but we will not stay down. We will endure until God raises our hands in victory. You've got to have that faith. This is what Jude is telling us. You've got to know and believe that God is able to keep us from stumbling. It's the preserving power of God. Now, I want you to grab hold of the promise that Jude offers. These are hope-struggling believers. Their hope is dimming towards despair. And they're in a battle And Jude wasn't saying that Jesus, now listen, you got to hear this. Jude's not saying that Jesus might keep us from stumbling, or he's not even saying that Jesus has the, or God has the potential power to keep us from stumbling. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying that God will keep us from stumbling. God is able, he is willing, he has the power to do it, and he's going to do it. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor Tim. Look at verse 21 for a moment. You see that word keep? Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's a different Greek word than the word keep in verse 24. They're different. In verse 21, the word means to watch and stay obedient to God's commands. Abide in his love. So in verse 21, keeping is watching. But in verse 24, it's a different word, keep. It's a military word. It means to guard, protect, and care for. So we watch that we stay close to God in obedience, verse 21. But God will stand guard over his people, protecting and staying vigilant. So Christian, let me ask you this. Do you fully understand who it is that's guarding you? Have you ever thought that God actually guards you? Well, let me bring the words of Jesus to bear. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. How does he have that confidence? Look what he says. No one can snatch them out of my hand. They will never perish. Why? Because no one, Jesus says, can snatch them out of my hand. Well, he goes on. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So what we're seeing right now is that Jesus guards us, God the Father guards us, so that we shall never perish. And if that wasn't enough, all the Godhead joins in. Look what Ephesians says. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So now you've got all the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who are guarding us, sealing us, guaranteeing us, unbreakably gripping us, so that we will not perish, so that no one will snatch us out of their hands. That's hope. And God cannot, now listen, God cannot make a promise and then renege on it. That would violate his own character and God cannot, he simply cannot do it. It's not even that he will not do it. He literally cannot do it. He cannot be true to his nature. He cannot be untrue, rather, to his nature. Does that sound a little bit less heretical? I almost put myself on this series. And the human will is not more powerful than God. Because the the classic argument is this, well, nobody could take you out of God's hands except yourself. Really? Seems like that no one will snatch you out of my hand is fairly universally inclusive. So God can't make a promise or renege on it. Human will is not more powerful than God's. Look what it says. God is able. By the way, this is a fun word. It's a word that we've gotten our word dynamite from. God has all power is what it means. He is explosively powerful. He has unconquerable power to do what? 
to keep us from stumbling. Or sure-footed as a horse, which is how Plato used it. Be able to walk the path and not stumble, not trip. Which is something that Jesus assured of, uh, uh, us of in John 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. This is the preserving power of God. If you are in Christ, then God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have come around you and they will keep you from stumbling. Now you probably are thinking, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about James? Because James says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And what about Peter? Peter says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We got Jude saying, that he is able to keep you from stumbling. We've got James and Peter warning us from stumbling, telling us that we all are going to stumble. So how do you believe Jude's promise that he's going to, God is going to keep us from stumbling? How do you believe that in light of the other scriptures? Well, let me take the word stumbling. And then look at that little connector word, and. Let's look in your Bibles. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, if I were you, I would tell you circle and. It's called a connector word. In other words, you can't fully understand he is able to keep you from stumbling without really looking at and to present you blameless. They have to go together to bring the full meaning. God who is able to keep you from falling away. That's what the New Living Translation says. God who is able to keep you from falling away. Jude's promise is not that God will keep true believers from ever sinning. It's that God will guard true believers from committing apostasy and abandoning the faith once for all. He's never going to let us fall out of our salvation. He's never going to let us stumble away from our faith. We may struggle, but we will not fall away from our faith. Why? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are guarding He's able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Remember that connecting word and you're never going to fall out of your salvation for God is able to do this. He's working to preserve our faith so that we will one day stand. Look at what the word says in his presence blameless. That word means without spot. It's a word that was used for sacrificial lambs. Spotless, blameless, fit for sacrifice. On that day, listen, this is what Jude's saying. God is able to keep you in your faith, not letting you stumble away from it, guarding you, watching over you, keeping you, so that one day he can bring you, he can present you to him, blameless, righteous, Christian friend, listen, I want you to hear something. On that day, Christian, I'm all, this is only an assurance to the Christians. 
If you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, I'm not speaking assurance to you. I'm motivating you. You got to do that. You got to put your faith in Jesus. But Christian, I can tell you this on that day when you and I stand before God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, which is how Jude is ending this on that day. Listen, you will not face the record of your sins. That ought to be good news. Are you going to see the wrathful, disapproving face of God and hear his righteous gavel pound on your soul? No. You will stand there innocent, blameless, without spot, covered in the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because Jesus died. He was buried. All of your sins, all of my sins were put onto his account. Our ledger was emptied from our sins and our account was filled with blessing. So Jesus, his account was filled with all of our sins. Our account was emptied of sins and filled with blessing. We stand before God on that day full of righteous blessings. No condemnation, no guilt, forgiven and free and welcome before God and all the praise and all the glory, every single bit of it goes to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now listen, this is what Jude knows in this life not christian you understand this right i mean come on just look at your last week maybe look at today possibly look at a few minutes ago we fall into moral sin we lapse but the keeping grace of god will not let us fall out of faith That's the good news called the gospel, that Jesus died to take away the sins of those who place their faith in him. And we stand forgiven and free and welcome before God. He will present. Look at that word again, would you please? Present. It means make you stand. He will enable you to stand. Before him spotless and righteous. This is a work of God through and through. And Christian, when you stand before him instead of fear, look what Jude says. You're going to have exceeding joy in some versions. Great joy in the ESV. Jesus will pull you into his arms. He will wipe your tear-stained face clean and radiant. And he's going to say to you, welcome to your eternal home that I have built for you. And in that instant, you're going to forget how great your earthly struggles were in comparison to all that lies before you. Your hearts are going to soar in joy like never before. They're going to soar like that for eternity without end. And what motivation this is right now for us to serve our God. The great work of God's redemption, taking sinners like me and sinners like you, Saving us, preserving us, glorifying us is the greatest power of God on display. Can you now understand why Jude's heart has just erupted? He is full of wonder, full of joy, contemplating our great salvation. He cannot help but ascribe glory to God in his great doxology. And it moves him to write verse 25. Let's look at it together. To the only God, 
our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. So what we've seen so far is this, the preserving power of God. Now we're going to see the preeminent person of God. See, God saves his people through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. He's, he is the only God, look what he's saying, to the only God. Some versions say to the only wise God. Listen, the word wise is not in it. It's gotten there from Romans 16. Early translators borrowed it. The word, you could call God wise, I'm sure it's fine, because that's what it says in Romans. But the word wise doesn't belong there, but he is the only God. Denying the Gnostic belief that there are a series of gods. And their belief that every one of us are just a, a, a God in the making. You just got to be enlightened to it. Now, the only God is God. He's the only God and he's deserving of all titles of excellence. And I want you to see these titles. In fact, listen, I want you to take a look at your verse again. Look at verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be. That's a verb. By the way, that's not in the original manuscripts. In fact, there is no verb there. So they've substituted the word be, and likely it would be better to put the word are. A-R-E. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Regardless, whichever one you want, here's four titles, four attributes, four characteristics that Jude gives us of God. He is the God of all glory is the first. I love this word. You know, this is the amazing thing about studying the Bible for a living. All of it's like this, but particularly this word glory. Every time I dig my spade of studying into the soil of God's word, particularly on this word glory, I keep going deeper. I don't think I'm ever going to get to the bottom of it. Every time I study what glory is, it becomes a fuller and more significant meaning to me. Glory has endless depths. As one person defined it, it refers to the public reputation or the fame of somebody else. So glory is all about reputation. It's all about fame. So to our glorious God is our famous God. Chris Tomlin sings a song like that. When we give God glory, we give him credit for his works that are deserving of public praise. When we come together and we praise God, when your hands are up, I love watching your hands raised. It's not mandatory, although it's very biblical. But when your hands are raised, what you're doing is you're reflecting, you're directing your praise and your glory to God. I mean, if it'd be like pointing to yourself like some arrogant athletes do when they're full of them, their own pride. It's pointing to God. That's what you're doing when you're raising hands. You're ascribing beauty and glory to God. And when we give him glory, we're giving him credit for his works. God, you are magnificent. God, you are amazing. God, you have saved me. You are keeping me. You're going to one day make me stand before you sin free. Having endured in my faith until the end. It's all because of you, God. You deserve all recognition. All applause goes to you. And the spotlight is only on you. 
I deserve none of what you've given me. I deserve no recognition or praise. That's glorifying God. That's honoring God. That's directing all praise to God. Now listen, here's what it means to live a life of glorifying God. You ready? It is the absolute deepest realization that if you ever do anything good, it's because God and His grace has enabled you to do it. And if you ever do anything bad, it's because you and your flesh didn't appeal to God's grace. Do you see the difference? Glorifying God, friends, always has has God at the very center. And all honor, all praise goes to Him. And Jude moves on. He is a God of all majesty, not just the God of all glory. He's a God of all majesty, which is a declaration of God's greatness. He's the most magnificent person in the universe. He's not simply our king. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. People, by the way, you know, you've heard people uh, refer to the African lion as majestic, the king of the beasts. Well, majestic means you're the overarching Leader, you're the overarching greatest one. So Jude is saying in his volcanic eruption of praise, God, you are greater than all. You are over all. You are majestic. You are beautiful. And he's saying this, and it takes great humility, but we will never be your equal. Never. Friends, you're never going to come close to God in equality. Never. Even after a billion years of sin-free living, you will never approach the majesty of God. It's going to drive you after 20 billion years in eternity. And by the way, I don't think time is going to exist in eternity, and I'll explain that in a minute. But even after 20 billion years of what we bracket is time, listen, you're always going to have the fundamental realization God is majestic, God is greater than I am, and I wouldn't want it any other way. God dwarfs us in his transcendent power and beauty. Then he goes on. God is the God of all dominion. Look at your text. Look at that word dominion. It's the words for, it's the word that we use for sovereignty. He has complete control over all things. He's able to bring all things under conformity to his will. Listen, if you say God is sovereign, what you're saying is, God, you've got the power to bring everything in my life in conformity to your will. This cancer, this unemployment, this rejection, this marriage struggle. You've got the power because you're sovereign to bring it all under conformity to your will. And I will place my confidence in you. And then he says he's the God of all authority. Which means God has the right to use his power the way that he sees fit. Now we like glory, we like majesty, we like dominion, we don't like this one. Do you believe this? Be honest. God has the right, God has the right to do whatever he wants as he sees fit with your life. With the life of your family members. The life of your friends. Do you believe that? 
Listen, if you believe that, then you're understanding Jude's heart about authority. God has that right. Listen, because all things are made by his hand. He is the master. He is the owner. It's his glory and his purposes. He is the creator of all there is. Every part of creation owes God their full and total allegiance. Listen, this was the anchor for Job. I don't think anybody in here, maybe not at least, has suffered to the level of Job. You ever had a tornado hit all four corners of your children's homes and kill every single one of your children and take every bit of your possessions away and leave you nothing but your own skin and your wife? And in the midst of all of that suffering, Job says this because he knew God's authority. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord when God takes away from you or he brings something into your life that you wanted or didn't want? And if you can, then you're worshiping the authority of God and your doxology of praise is rising. How do you end a letter... When your praise could go on forever. Well, Jude shows us how. We've seen the persevering power of God, the preeminent person of God. Finally, and this is going to be brief, the perpetual promise of God. The perpetual promise of God. You know, I recall two very, very vivid feelings. Whenever, whenever I would come home from Liberty University in my undergraduate school, when I would come home, I'd take that nine-hour drive north to right outside of Syracuse, New York, in a little town called Derider. And as I was driving to Derider, and I would get there, and I would unpack, and I'd be home on college break, whether that was Christmas or Easter or summer, I remember two feelings at war within me. One was an absolute irritation that nothing ever changes at home. And the other one was a glad relief that nothing ever changes at home. I mean, I'm not kidding you. They warred within me. And what I began to understand as I matured a little bit more is that, man, you're changing so much. It is so fast paced at college. Everything's changing. I'm being flooded with change. I'm learning a lot and the Lord is moving a lot of transformation in my life. And I come home and everybody is the same, it seems, as they always were. And it's almost like you're running 80 miles per hour and you hit, you hit a standstill immediately. But when I got a little older and all that change was happening in such an ex- escalated fashion, I used to want to go home where nothing seemed to change, to rest. It's an anchor for me. So I think this is what we're seeing in Jude's final words. That same rest and assurance. Look at what he writes. Ready? Here it is. Look at your text. Before all time and now and forever. Amen. You know what Jude just said? You ever thought like this? Time had a beginning. There was a point when time came into being. And God is not contained within it. 
That's why one day could be as a thousand years or a thousand years could be as a day to God is because he's not bound within time like we are. We are spatially located with time. The clock determines everything. We will have so many ticks around the clock and we're going to die. God is not bound by time. And he brought time into being when he created this universe. But there was a time before time. And in that time before time, guess what? God was worthy of all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And then time came into being, and all of the human history that we know of and that we've studied, and that's still occurring right now, even yesterday or five minutes ago, even during all of the history of human beings, God is worthy of all glory, all majesty, all dominion, and all authority. And you and I do not know what's going to happen in five minutes. We don't know what's going to happen when you drive home tonight. You don't know what's going to happen in 30 years. But I'll tell you this. God will be deserving of all glory and all dominion and all power and all authority. Because he doesn't change. It's what theologians call the immutability of God. He never changes. His nature, his attributes are constant. He is simply without end and he is simply without beginning. He is perfectly constant. You know, when I was a little boy, I would lay in my bed and I would try to grasp and I would try to comprehend. Any of you ever done this? I would try to comprehend what's it mean that God's never had a beginning and never had an end. And I would really think on it and think on it and think on it. And I'm telling you, I would get dizzy. Seriously. It's like my mind was trying to comprehend something that's incomprehensible. It could not do it. It met its limits. It met its boundary. And when it tried to go beyond it, it began to shut down. Well, listen, that's what it's like. God is always full of glory. God is always full of dominion. God is always full of majesty and full of authority. This is the nature of God. Before time was created, since time has been created, and forever into the future when we won't need time again. Do you know why that's comforting? When you understand that your present troubles and your current difficulties have the same keeping God, the same powerful God who will not let you stumble, will present you one day in his glorious presence with great joy. The same God alive in Elijah's day when he was lying under a broom tree, didn't want to live. The same God in David's day when he finally said, Lord, I am the sinner. Nathan the prophet was right. I know that you could create in me a clean heart. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. When you understand that our God today is the same God they had, still, still full of glory, still full of dominion, full of majesty, full of authority and power, then there's nothing that you cannot face. Nothing. And you will find the power and the boldness and the reason to get into your agon and contend for the faith, no matter what comes. And when you fully believe that, listen, I'll tell you what your heart's going to say. It's going to say the word that Jude said, Amen.
which Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God are coming to us through Christ. Do you know what the word amen is? It's one of the few words, by the way, that that's what it looks like in the Hebrew. It's a seal. It's a signature. It's God's signature. It's our signature when we're in a doxology. Is God's signature in his benedictions. When he's blessing us, he signs it amen. When we're blessing God, we sign it amen. It means a guarantee that what was written or what is said is not only true, but it should find agreement in our hearts. It's true and I agree. It's true and I love it. It's true and I believe it and I'm willing to put my life, it's confidence in this, amen. See, when we're saying amen, and we kind of do this flippantly, I think we should not do it flippantly. When we say amen, we're saying yes before God, I agree with that, I believe that to be true, and I want it to be true. Recall, if you will, what Jude has done in this little one-chapter book. He has called Christians into the ring. And he has warned us that the church is under attack. He's saying, you got to get off the bleachers. you got to get off the sidelines, Christian, every one of us, and get into the battle. You cannot be an observer in the faith. And he's taught us how to contend for that faith. And he's reminded us of the power and the faithfulness of our God to take care of us, even in the midst of the battle. So friends, be governed by love and armed with biblical knowledge. Get in the ring and fight for the faith. Amen.